0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, December 20th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Civil asset forfeiture is an American travesty, but the federal government is standing in the way of getting access to the most basic information about the property they've taken from Americans. Lisa Knepper is Director of Strategic Research at the Institute for Justice, which has recently sued both the Internal Revenue Service and Customs and Border Patrol over public access to their forfeiture databases. You've spent a lot of time studying asset forfeiture as an issue and Mm -hmm. how states and the federal government undertake that activity. What do we know about it uh, generally and what is left to know about how uh, police at the state and federal level engage in forfeiture?
1: Really, we know very little um, in comparison to what we ought to know. So we know uh, overall numbers at the the federal level that the federal government is engaging in billions of dollars worth of forfeiture annually. We have similar information at the state level, where the numbers are in the hundreds of millions. Um, but there's a lot of states where we're missing all kinds of information, and and at the federal level, there's a lot of detail that we don't know. How many forfeitures are happening? Are they civil? Are they criminal? Uh, and that matters. These, these kinds of things matter because civil forfeiture um, is so much easier for the police and so much harder for property owners to fight. And so, that breakdown, is it civil? Is it a civil procedure, are they following criminal procedures where a conviction is required, is really important, but it's not published.
0: And the U.S. Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, uh, to the extent that she's been asked directly about uh, forfeiture, mm-hmm. doesn't really draw much of a distinction uh, between no. civil and criminal. She just views it as a great tool.
1: Yes, that's right. Well, and most, most in law enforcement do, and the that's part of the reason why we need more data we need to know uh, what, what laws are being broken that are supposedly leading to forfeiture. Is this actually an effective crime-fighting tool? The, the reports that the federal government puts out about their forfeiture activities aren't actually about their forfeiture activities. What they are are forfeiture fund accounting. Reports, So it's telling you how much money is going in, how much money is going out, and what the balance is at the end of the year. I mean, that's good to know, and it's good that they do that, but that's way far away from a complete accounting of what the underlying activity is and whether it's doing us any good as a law enforcement tool or— Alternatively, whether it is catching up innocent people in a crazy system.
0: So, you've been spending at least a year and a half now trying to get access to databases uh, from Customs and Border Patrol and the IRS about the more technical details associated with individual forfeitures. So, where does that stand right now?
1: That's right. So, the IRS has a forfeiture database called AFTRAC. We submitted a FOIA request for that database. The CBP maintains a database called CCATS, and that covers not just um, customs and border protection activity, but also... Uh, forfeiture activity all across the Treasury. So these are big, important databases. And both agencies have refused to turn them over. The IRS wants $750,000 in order to provide us with a CD detailing what's on their database. The CBP just flat out refused. Now, by contrast, the Department of Justice, which has its own forfeiture database, it's called CATS, the Consolidated Asset Tracking System, cute little acronym, uh, we requested their database. They turned it over in three months, no charge. CD showed up at our offices. So this can be done, but the IRS and CBP are essentially dragging their feet in violation of FOIA. So, where it currently stands is that we've sued both agencies for flouting the Federal Freedom of Information Act.
0: And just to give a sense of the the fight over these records, Customs and Border Patrol said that your request was overbroad. How does that work? (laughs) I mean, you're asking for an expansive database, presumably, Mm -hmm. but how, how could that be construed as overbroad?
1: Well, so, first of all, that's not really a reason to be able to deny a FOIA request. Uh, it doesn't matter if uh, the the records are voluminous. If they're subject to FOIA, they have to turn them over. It's really that simple. Um, but they're, they're complaining about two things. One, they say it's overbroad and it would take a really long time for them to produce this information. Uh, but again, the DOJ did it in three months. Uh, amusingly, CBP claims it would take them, at a minimum, 96 years to review the 4 million records in their database and decide what can be disclosed and what must be redacted. That's just not true. The DOJ, again, did it in three months, and what they did was they didn't look at every single record in the database, every single data point. They looked at categories right? They looked at uh, columns and tables. They took out anything that was personally identifiable information or any kind of sensitive law enforcement information. They just cut it right out. The rest, they dropped it onto a CD and dropped it in the mail. It's that straightforward. And there's no reason to think that CBP or the IRS can't do the exact same thing.
0: And it's almost comical if the idea is that you don't get to access the database in the interest of transparency because it would take so long to go through it. That speaks to a database that is so large <laughs> that it is affecting lots of Americans' lives.
1: Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean,
0: And therefore, you want it to be transparent.
1: That's right. It, that is why it should be transparent. And, you know, there's a bill in Congress right now that would create a... Uh, a publicly available forfeiture database across the entire federal government, um, make that publicly available. Um, you know, it, it hasn't gone anywhere yet. Um, hopefully it will, but it, it really does speak to the size of the problem and the the need for greater transparency when it comes to forfeiture activity.
0: So, uh my wife works on this issue, full disclosure, with you yes, at the Institute does. for Justice. In and, fact, she uh, made
1: the original FOIA requests for these databases.
0: <laughs> so the, uh, the question about FOIA more broadly is one that at the state level when I was a reporter and when I worked uh, at the Bluegrass Institute in Kentucky, FOIA is just an invaluable tool at both the state and, and federal level. Now, what has FOIA done for you Mm. in terms of discovering what you have been able to discover?
1: Oh, it's been critical. Um, I mean, so without FOIA, we wouldn't have gotten the Department of Justice's database. And that enabled us to see that most DOJ forfeitures are civil using the easier civil procedures rather than criminal procedures uh, where a conviction is required. So that's something we would never have known without FOIA. Um, At the state level, uh, when we did our policing for profit report last year, our second edition of that, we filed more than 200 public records requests in order to generate the data for that report. Uh, And that was it you know, gave us insight into how much forfeiture is happening in the states. Um, it gave us insight into how some states are spending the forfeiture money. Not every state uh, were we able to get that information, but in some states we were. I mean, so it's absolutely invaluable. We would know extremely little about how uh, forfeiture is operating in this country if it weren't for if it weren't for FOIA laws at the state and federal level.
0: So, what do you hope to be able to produce upon receiving this information from CBP and IRS?
1: Sure. We'd love to take a look at the civil criminal breakdown. We'd love to see what kinds of crimes are leading to forfeitures. We'd like to see uh, how long it takes to go through the system. How burdensome is this for a property owner trying to fight for their property back? Uh, there's a whole host of questions. You know, How many seizures are happening? How many uh, result in settlement? How many uh, go through the entire judicial process? There's just a, a whole host of questions that we would be able to explore. Um, and we could probably uh, stay busy producing reports based on that for years to come.
0: <laughs> and there are people who, uh, with uh, IJ attorneys, among other uh, other attorneys, ACLU and others, have mm-hmm. uh, fought on behalf of people who've had their property seized, some uh, innocent owners, their property being used by someone else, some people just had their property seized and didn't feel that they uh, were... Uh, able going to be able to hire an attorney and go through the process of actually getting their stuff back. So presumably, this this database would reveal some of those instances where somebody just had their property in a in a very real sense stolen mm-hmm. and didn't feel like they could fight.
1: Absolutely, and in fact, we earlier were able to get uh, a, a much more limited set of data out of the IRS about one type of forfeiture, forfeiture about structuring. So this is where uh, there are federal bank laws uh, where banks have to report to the federal government anytime a cash depositor withdrawal is made uh, that's $10,000 or larger. And it's a, actually a crime to try to evade those reporting requirements by depositing money in smaller amounts, in amounts under, under $10,000. So the IRS was going around cleaning out people's bank accounts for the supposed crime of structuring their transactions, depositing money in small amounts to evade federal reporting requirements. And so we looked into this. We got some data from the IRS. And that data told us what was the basis for each individual seizure. And from that, we were able to tell that the IRS wasn't taking money from people that were money laundering in a lot of cases, a lot of times they were taking money from people whose only crime, the only thing they did wrong, was deposit money in small amounts. And so, they're cleaning out bank accounts of small business owners who happen to do business in cash, um, and other people who are doing perfectly legitimate transactions. They have no idea that they're violating something called structuring law. Um, in, and some,
0: in some cases, that they just might be uh, personally friends with the banker yes. and just don't want them to have to go through the process. Well, this
1: happens a lot. So the, the banker will actually say, gosh, it's a headache when you make a $10,000 deposit. Could you just you know, deposit nine instead? And they say, oh, OK, sure no idea that they're breaking federal law and that the IRS could come and clean out their bank account. So, with this data, we were able to make a big deal out of the issue. We got national attention, Congress got involved, and the IRS went back and changed its policies and said, we're going to stop doing this, we're going to try to rein it in going forward. And so, it really shows the power of transparency and how critical transparency is uh, to, to holding agencies accountable, especially when it comes to forfeiture.
0: Lisa Nepper is Director of Strategic Research at the Institute for Justice. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.